they're not going to hear Moses and the prophets, please send Lazarus, this is my paraphrase, because certainly if someone comes back from the dead, that will grab their attention. That will grab their attention. And I know that they're not going to read the scriptures and believe them. So, so send Lazarus back from the dead. They, they will recognize him. They will get his atten- he will get their attention uh, so that they would be convinced. And again, Abraham said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, obviously, that statement is very meaningful. Um, we, sh- we are to remember that Luke in his gospel emphasizes that Moses and the prophets testify concerning Jesus and urge repentance and faith in Him. We're, we're to remember that. That Moses and the prophets testify concerning Jesus Christ and they urge repentance and faith in Him. The rich man knew this would be the only thing that would keep his brothers from the torments of hell. They must turn from their sins and believe upon the Messiah. But the rich man's opinion was that they will not believe the Scriptures. Somebody must come back from the dead in order to convince them. Seventhly, this parable also teaches that effectual calling is what is needed. Again, Abraham's reply, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Clearly this proved to be true in real life. Many of the Jews persisted in unbelief after Jesus did in fact raise his friend named Lazarus from the dead. So maybe there's a connection there. I believe this was a parable, but do you remember that episode where Jesus went to Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died? He'd been in the grave for three days, and he called Lazarus' friend out of the grave. And what did the Jews do with that? Did they turn from their sin and believe upon Christ, saying, my goodness, this man has the power to raise the dead? No, they persisted in their unbelief. It even motivated them all the more to seek to put Jesus to death. They even wanted to put Lazarus to death, (laughs) because there he was as a living testimony to, to the power of God on display in Christ. Think of the hardness of heart there. A man was in the grave for three days, and he's called out of the grave testifying to the power of God in Christ. And they do not believe in Jesus. They do not turn from their sins, but they double down, as it were, and they say, let's kill this Jesus, and actually, let's kill Lazarus too, because he's a trouble to us. They would not believe. So this proved to be true, what is told here in this parable. And many would persist in their unbelief, even after Christ Himself was raised from the dead. And the question is this, what greater proof could be given that a man was from God than his ability to raise the dead and to be raised himself. And yet men and women in their hardness of heart persist in their unbelief to this present day. The point is this, unless the Lord opens their eyes to make them see, effectual calling is needed. Effectual calling is needed. Remember that is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince men that Jesus is Lord and that they are to trust in Him. Effectual calling, the work of the Holy Spirit is needed. As I have said, these truths about hell are unpleasant truths, but they are essential truths that must be proclaimed. They must be proclaimed, for the Scriptures clearly teach them. The Scriptures speak often of the torments of hell and the judgments of God that await the wicked. Christ Himself spoke of hell. Some do like to portray Christ as being all love, nothing but love, and indeed He is love. But Christ also spoke of judgment and of hell. And why did He do it? Well, in part because He loves sinners and wants to urge them to repent and to turn from their sins and to be saved. These truths must be proclaimed 
if we have love for our fellow man. If this is true, that the wicked will be tormented in hell forever, then it is also true that we must pray for their salvation and urge them to turn. If it is true that all are by nature sinners, and if it is true that our only hope is for the forgiveness of sins and life eternal is faith in Christ, then it follows that we must warn those we love. We must urge them to turn from their sins and to believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of sins so that this is not their experience. And these truths about hell must be proclaimed if those in Christ are to truly appreciate what they have been rescued from. Here in this question and in the next, we, we see more clearly what it is that we have been rescued from. And so, brothers and sisters, I might ask you, do you believe in hell? Do you believe in hell? And if you do, will it affect the way that you live? Will you live with a reverential fear of God? Will you be eager to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ones you love? And will you have greater gratitude for the work that Christ has finished on your behalf? He has, among other things, rescued you from the torments of hell forever. I do believe that this doctrine, this doctrine that no one likes to talk about anymore, is very impactful. If you were to take some time and to really reflect upon this truth that is found within Holy Scripture, yes, it might send you into kind of a melancholy disposition for a period of time to think about it, but it has a way of just sort of bringing it all home and making everything real. It has a way of really impressing this question to us. Do you really believe this stuff? If so, then are you praying fervently for the lost? Are you proclaiming Christ? Are you encouraging men and women to repent? You see, when we lose sight of this, we kind of just get caught up with the things of this life, don't we? We start to just sort of enjoy the pleasures that we have here, the comforts that we have here. Um, But we cannot do this, brothers and sisters, if we really believe this biblical doctrine. I'd like to conclude by very briefly considering the catechism question itself. What shall be done to the wicked at their death um, is the question. And we are to remember that indeed all are wicked, being born in sin and committing many sins of their own. But here our catechism is concerned with what happens to those who die in the guilt of their sins and not in Christ. That is how this word wicked is being used here. What will happen to the wicked at their death? We are all sinners, but some of us are sinners saved by grace and are no longer properly called wicked. We are the redeemed. We are the ones who have been made holy. We are saints, you see. And so there is a difference between those not in Christ and those in Christ. We must keep that in mind. And that is how this term is being used here. Those in Christ are no longer wicked but have been made clean through the blood of the Lamb. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to them and is received by faith alone. And the question asks, what happens to the wicked at death? In other words, when someone passes from this world while still in their sins, what do they experience? Well, their bodies lie in their graves till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. On that day, their bodies will be raised and rejoined to their souls for judgment, as we will learn next week. But until then, their bodies lie in their graves, just as the bodies of the righteous do, as we learned. When we pass from this world, our bodies go into the grave, and those in Christ who have been effectually called go into the presence of God and are blessed there. Our catechism is right to say that their souls are immediately cast into the torments of hell. And this is exactly what the parable of Luke 16 describes to us. Brothers and sisters, we must be sober about these things. As we conclude now, 
let me ask you, are you in sin or have you been made righteous through faith in Christ? Are you in your sin or have you been made righteous through faith in Christ? Those who are righteous will go to glory. Those in sin will go to hell. Where will you go when you pass from this world? I must ask that question. Do you know? Do you have assurance concerning these things? You and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. No matter if we are young or if we are old, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we must think about these things and consider these questions. Are we in sin? Are we wicked? Or have we been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? Are we righteous? Where you go when you pass from this world is determined by these things. And where will your loved ones go? Have you thought of that? Where will your loved ones go? As I have said, this talk of hell is unpleasant. But this should cause us to tremble at the thought of going there to hell. Or this, could, this should cause us to mourn at the thought of those we love going there. Above all, it should move us to pray, to proclaim Christ crucified and risen, and to urge men and women to be found in Him, clothed in His righteousness. What shall be done to the wicked at their death, I ask you? The answer is this. The souls of the wicked shall at death be cast into the torments of hell. And their bodies lie in their graves till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, so much of what we say here in this sanctuary is happy as we consider the benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is not a happy message. This is a sobering one. This is a heavy one. But Father, your word reveals these truths. And so I do pray that this truth concerning hell and the eternal destiny of the wicked, I do pray that it would have the proper effect upon our hearts, O Lord. If we are not awake, make us awake, Lord. If we are not sober, make us sober. May we live each day here on earth with this in view. Father, I do pray that you would help us not to run away from these difficult truths, but to receive them and to contemplate them and to live according to them. And so, Father, move us to pray for the lost. Move us to proclaim Christ. Move us even to preach the gospel to our own souls so that we do persevere in Christ to the end. Increase our reverential fear of you, O God. Above all, we do pray that you would appreciate our gratitude for Christ Jesus crucified and risen. For we are richly blessed in him. And here we see and are reminded of the fact that he has truly rescued us. He has rescued us from our sins. He has rescued us from the judgment of God. He has rescued us from the flames of hell. And we are grateful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.